This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome everyone for joining us for this COVID-19 speaker session on what can the rest of the world learn from Asia. I'm Isabel Wong, Link Studio Lead and the moderator of today's panel. Well, the speaker session is brought to you by Link Global and Risky Women. Link Global is a tech platform that connects decision makers and business leaders with the world's greatest minds, while Risky Women is a global network that brings together women in risk, regulation, and compliance space. The community also celebrates and champions women's achievements and works in this space with its podcasts and events. We have put together a powerful panel of female leaders in the finance and banking sectors today um, to talk to us about how Asia has been being dealing with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, as the region is currently around six to eight weeks ahead of the rest of the world in terms of dealing with the um, pandemic as well as the impacts brought by the virus. In this one-hour session, we'll touch on how regulators and the financial services sector has been dealing with the impacts and uh, and the negative um, impacts brought by COVID-19 and whether or not there are any new trends and new regulatory models forming in the process. And we'll also discuss work from home policies as well as financial crimes and cybersecurity issues that have um, ha- that we have seen happening during the global pandemic. Now, it is with my pleasure to introduce our speakers today. Uh, they are Mina Dewani and Lonika Vanzendert. Mina is currently a senior advisor of APAC Regulatory Affairs at EY. As a seasoned banking regulator, Mina has over 35 years of experience in the Hong Kong government, as well as over 22 years as a banking regulator with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. She later joined EY from the HKMA, where she's responsible for um, enforcement and anti-money laundering, as well as counter-terrorist financing supervision. Welcome, Mina. And um, the other speaker there who is joining us today is Lonica. Lonica is an extremely experienced financial crimes and security expert. Originally from the Netherlands, Lonica has lived in Asia since 2006. She previously worked for the Royal Marachuse, Dutch Law Enforcement Agency and Joint Prudential back in 2018 as the head of um, financial crimes for the Asia region. She also worked as the head of security and intelligence management for the Asia and Middle East regions as at ABN Amrill Bank. So now, um, without further ado, I would like to begin um, the conversation with a brief update on the current um, situation here in Asia, because obviously um, in this part of the world, we are having a deja vu moment where we see um, the virus continues to spread globally. Well, hoarding toilet papers was something that first happened in Asia, but then eventually it started happening um, in Australia as well as the United States, while the things that we are running out in this part of the world or at least in Hong Kong, are surprisingly baking supplies. So I would like to ask 
uh, Mina and Lonica, is the financial services industry also experiencing something similar, this kind of deja vu moment? What did it look like for Asia at the start of the virus outbreak? And what were some of the initial reactions within the industry, Mina? Thank you, Isabel. I'm so honored to be here. It's such a joy to be able to share um, our experience uh, with our um, compatriots in across you know the seas in U.S. and elsewhere. Uh, we're very fortunate that you know a little bit ahead of the curve, but actually nobody's out of the woods yet. And if you look at the Financial Times today, it is quite scary. You know, we started with a health crisis, which has turned into an economic crisis. Um, and, um, you know, and now the fear is that it might become a financial crisis. So, it, you know, that we really have to all work together because nobody is safe. You know, um, the, the virus knows no borders and we just have to work together, share experience. And, you know, we've had several waves in Hong Kong. Um, you know, first, um, the virus was pretty much the first case was discovered um, in January, it was around the same time as um, in the U.S. Washington, D.C. had its first case, also on the 21st of January. Hong Kong was the 22nd. Um, and, um, you know, and things were okay in the beginning. I mean, you know, but the government acted very quickly because of the SARS experience and immediately implemented for the civil service, at least, to work from home. And so, and encouraged the industry to do the same. And they took the cue and started doing that. And so, and at the same time, you know, there was this fear that, you know, this would really slow down the economy and there could have serious implications. So the banks triggered their um, business continuity plans, but life went on very much, um, you know, as normal uh, and people would go out and, you know, the businesses weren't that badly affected in the beginning. So that was a scene in the beginning and um, the functions carried on quite normally because, you know, for instance, they would use uh, international firms that we deal with in EY. They had their support teams in India and elsewhere and they were functioning properly, you know, um, the shared service desk in India. And then the global uh, teams were also working so they could book orders overseas. So things were pretty much okay until there was the second wave where we had the imported cases. And then, um, you know, then the government really introduced all of these social distancing policies. I think the, the this health crisis, one of the key things that, you know, the policymakers are trying to do is to flatten the curve because they know that it is a very contagious um, disease. And, um, you know, so what has, it has, it's so, unlike some of the other crises, because, um, you know, those were generally health issues or financial issues, but now it's sort of like the supply side as well as the demand side is affected because of social distancing and in the U.S., the lockdowns. So they're trying to flatten the curve so that the health um, system will not collapse. Um, and to do this, you know, uh, economic activities had to be curbed in Hong Kong even, you know, like uh, now we have social distancing and uh, we can only go out in teams of four. But the good news is it all seems to be under control, at least for the time being. This week, uh, we've had single digit growth of the virus, the infection, new cases. And, uh, uh, you know, but but we're not out of the woods because we're only safe when the whole world has been able to combat this. Uh, or we've developed a vaccine or there's herd immunity and none of that is in sight. So, you know, 
Um, there are many, many concerns which we'll be um, discussing later, but that was sort of like the scenario that was in the beginning and has evolved. And now the banks are just, you know, doing their best at um, assessing and identifying the various risks, supporting their customers and their staff. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mina, um, for giving us an an update of the current situation from Asia. Um, I would like to welcome Monica because um, I guess like currently it's it's a very challenging time for everyone. Um, while like let's say we are all trying to troubleshoot while we try to join a webinar and as well as trying to really do our job, like it's really challenging um, left, right, and center. But then finally, Lonica is with us, and uh, and and Lonica, like, is there anything you would like to add in terms? of um, when the virus outbreak first started here in Asia, what it was like for your team? And um, I mean, um, basically, what's your take on the current situation? Good morning, Isabel. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good evening. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, first of all. Uh, I I think it took me 30 minutes, so apologies. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what I have missed, or perhaps (laughs) I'm going to Uh, duplicate everything that Mina has said, but um, basically, um, I mean, mean, Asia is a diverse region. I have a regional responsibility, and as such, I have seen a wide range of responses, emotions, and practices, and um, I'm currently based in Hong Kong, and I think the first overall thoughts were, this is not good, uh, but it's manageable. We can do this, and we actually know how to. Um, we started to hear about the virus end of December even. Uh, so come Jan, we activated our response plans. We had employee communications. We started to distribute uh, face masks. We implemented extra cleaning measures because all, all was learned during SARS. And um, we had several waves. And I think the first wave, the influx from China, we did pretty well and life was actually quite normal uh, for, for the team it's I think at least 50% of it consists of travel and we, we, we even traveled I mean we, we took our measures everyone was extremely vigilant and, and careful but I feel that life w- 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 would be able to continue um, because everyone was so careful so at the moment, we're doing well. Uh, it, it, it's clear that all the MPIs, the non-pharmaceutical initiatives are working. Uh, we have very strong public health responses. But at the moment, it's, it's everything is not in a formal lockdown, but there's no travel. Uh, everyone is working from home. And it's, it's starting to look a bit more positive again, at least for some of the countries in Asia. But we are, we are not quite there yet. Yeah, um, even though we've been seeing, um, as Mina just mentioned, single-digit confirmed cases here in Hong Kong, um, I think uh, the government has still been quite cautious in terms of um, the regulations and measures that they are rolling out. And one of the uh, notable measures um, in terms of uh, financial relief package that the Hong Kong government has rolled out, um, basically they are trying to support business owners in the city to prevent more um, small and medium enterprises from going bankrupt and ensure workers in Hong Kong will continue to get paid um, in the tough months ahead. But some workers, they argue this um, 18 billion US dollar relief package rolled out by the Hong Kong government does not really relieve 
much pressure off them um, financially. And it's uh, kind of a controversial plan here. And also just um, last night, Hong Kong welfare ministers said in a press conference um, that um, those who sack um, their employees then replace them with um, family members and friends to collect additional benefits could face criminal liabilities. I would like to ask Mina uh, in terms of what's your take on this as well as an overview of government responses in the APEC area as well as the rest of the world that you've been seeing. Thank you, Isabel. Actually, government uh, response, uh, there's been, been three-way stimulus I think this is this the stimulus that has been poured out is unprecedented. It's monetary as well as physical. Um, so the central banks in many jurisdictions have lowered interest rates um, to almost zero, and some countries have negative interest rates. And as you said, this cheap funding for SME credit extension and funding schemes also going directly to corporates. Um, there's a clear message from all central banks, and that is liquidity is not going to be an issue. They're just throwing money at this problem, you know, hoping that it'll go away. Um, but as I said earlier, it's okay that you, all of this goes to the businesses. It stimulates, you know, sort of like um, uh, su supply. You know, you're, you're, you're producing all the goods and services, but you have to have the consumers to consume them. And if they're socially distancing themselves, not going out, which fortunately is not the case in Hong Kong, but in many, many countries, that's the case. So the economy is not going to be pick, picking up until really there's consumer confidence. And that confidence comes when the virus is under control, when the policies have been relaxed. And so we don't know when that is going to happen. But the government in the meantime are so concerned to ensure that, you know, employees have their jobs. And so, as you mentioned, that there's this 80 billion Hong Kong dollar package that's gone out to a wide range of employees um, and uh, like they have in the UK, they're paying, you know, the, the, the Treasury is footing 80% of the paycheck for furlonged uh, staff. In Hong Kong also, they're giving six months pay up, up to 9,000 per employee for about 1.5 million employees. So that is massive. This, I mean, this uh, is going to cause a huge deficit in the budget, but that's not an issue for Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a massive, massive surplus of 5.5, you know, trillions of dollars. So it's a, you know, these things are for a rainy day. So this is one of the things. And then there are other many, many reliefs, like, you know, even there's helicopter money to give $10,000 to each of the um, Hong Kong residents so that they can go and spend. But we all want to be able to go out and spend. Um, and then there's the other question, when the things get normal, are people really going to want to spend as much knowing what, you know, what can happen? Would they be more inclined to save? That is also a concern. Um, so that is one aspect. So there's the central banks and there's the government. And then there is also uh, the regulators. And they're really trying to pump, you know, they're reducing all of the buffers. And this is led by the international setting bodies like Basel Committee, where, um, you know, the, all of those reforms, the Basel III reforms, they're all sort of like being delayed. And, you know, in Hong Kong, the HKMA also announced all of these are being def uh, deferred. Similarly, in Singapore, in Australia, across Asia, Pacific and the world, because the tone is set from the international um, body setters. Um, and then also there's a lot of relaxation on regulatory requirements, regulatory reporting, um, and they're, you know, for instance, in the AML space, they're saying use a risk-based approach and um, exercise flexibility because they really want um, the banks to be a mechanism for the transmission of the financial aid. 
So it's their transmission mechanism, which is a real, real good change because we in the financial services had to deal with so many other financial crises where the banking system was the problem. Here, they're not the problem. There's a center of the solution, which is a relief. But there is a danger that in all of that, because of the shutdown of the economy and because of unemployment, that you know when they give out all of these loans, if they don't do proper credit risk management, that they're going to be bankruptcies. And this is going to dent on their otherwise very, very good balance sheets because they spent the last decade building up their balance sheets. And then there's also... Um, you know, there's one area that hasn't really been focused by the government or, you know, and that is the the, the other non-financial, and the, the other financial area, but that's not banks, it's the investment space where there is not as much regulation. And then, you know, they're, they're facing massive outflows of investors in their funds, they're selling funds. And today's Financial Times says this is a really hot spot and this could lead the health crisis into the economic crisis becoming a financial crisis. So there are two aspects of this. One of them is that the bank's credit uh, worthiness will go down the tubes and then they'll need to be rescued all over again. This is a big risk. And the other risk is really, um, you know, where uh, this, the investment, the hedge funds, all of these other financial services that are going to affect investors because, you know, if investors sort of dump their sh funds the investment fund is not going to be affected because they keep selling, 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 but the investor is going to have huge losses. And so they're going to have less income, less capital. Um, and so there, there could be increase in bankruptcy. So that is a concern that we have to watch out for. Yeah, I do agree with you as, um, of course, like the governments and regulators, they are also struggling to try to flatten the curve while trying to strike a balance um, in terms of not killing the economy so much um, for the people. Uh, but then um, the other hot issue that I would like to bring up uh, as we move on to the next section of our talk is that um, some of the internal policies um, rolled out by companies around the world during the virus outbreak, because one significant um, global trend or culture um, that was created during this COVID-19 outbreak is definitely the work from home practice, but it does not really um, come without any challenges in terms of um, in the Asia context, because we also have um, Japan's reliance on paperwork, um, lack of hardware and software by some civil servants in Hong Kong. And it's even more so for finance and compliance workers in terms of um, having to do their jobs um, from home. So um, I would like to bring in Monica, like how has the work from home practice evolved over the weeks um, for companies in Asia. And since we were at least um, three months uh, into this work from home experiment um, in this part of the world, what's your take um, on how really we can do it right? That's an interesting question, Isabel, because as, as organizations around the world find themselves in different phases of managing the impact of the virus, and while the challenges may vary by location, by industry, even by business maturity, I think we all have a role to play to build our organization's resilience. And uh, while, while you see defensive measures are being taken, uh, strategic opportunities are b being shaped already, identifying the right employee policies and smart approaches to remote work appears to be not only one of the most important, but also just not easy. Uh, we mentioned travel already uh, that, that, that went through different phases. We, we have 
travel allowed. We had exceptional travel. We had travel with special board approval to basically non-travel, not only business, but also personal travel. And and when the decision was made uh, that, that basically a shift to complete uh, remote working, but there are a few key items to consider, I think. First of all, ensure that every can, everyone can actually work from home. Um, they, they need to feel supportive, have the right access to systems and technology, but not, not everyone or not every country has a whole, uh, working from home culture. For instance, um, in, in Hong Kong, uh, the houses are small, uh, sometimes multiple families live in the houses. I mean, the, the people live their lives mostly outdoors. So suddenly uh, to all work from home in combination with homeschooling, because that becomes a different ball game uh, when schools are closed and working parents uh, also need to take care of homeschooling. It's, it's, it's very challenging. Um, I think check-ins, uh, whether it's on a daily, weekly, bi-daily, uh, by a video that provides direction, confidence, but also resilience in a team. Um, for us, it works well to have team guidelines established. I mean, it's, it's exceptional circumstances, but especially in our area, um, it's, it's important that the quality is maintained and that there's enough uh, oversight on, on controls and also investigations quality. Um, so, so those are key items. Um, how is productivity being impacted? Uh, because if, if, again, in our teams, if there's a failure to provide support, that could lead to incidents and events not appropriately reported or uh, breaches not, not identified, under-reporting to regulators. So I, I would say it's, it's, it's key to get it right, but it's, um, it's not an easy one. And maybe perhaps from a personal perspective, I, I have developed two personal mantras. Everything will pass and just be nice to yourself and others. I'm focusing on how lucky I am and that our concerns are not bigger bigger at the ones that we're facing. And I think to, to have a positive outlook in the team and, and keep up that team spirit is, uh, is, is essential at this time. Thank you for your optimism. This is a, this is a much needed optimism uh, during times like this. But then I also would like to ask you about um, communications because in order for employees to feel supported, of course, companies will have to communicate um, security related issues also um, effectively uh, in order for employees to feel um, protected and supported. So how can we do this um, in an effective manner? How to educate employees about security in such challenging times? Um, I would say, I mean, we need to priority employee safety first, whether it's physical safety, whether it's their well-being. It's also a time where employees are going to remember how you as a company or as a boss, as a uh, team manager, uh, are dealing with the crisis, whether they feel the concerns will focus on the financials or that there was a concern for them as an employee, as a contributing staff member. And that wording and the messaging is essential. Even when you talk, uh, for instance, about work-from-home communication, uh, that there's work-from-home allowed, there's work-from-home encouraged, there's work-from-home mandated. And we went through all these various stages. And not only do the various communication lead to a different outcome in terms of people actually working from home. It also has an impact on the motivation and commitment um, to the company. 
what are the mitigating plans and support for when staff are ill? How do you communicate when there's a positive um, when there's a positive case? It's um, it's 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 also essential to to talk about um, the technology. Um, I mean, we all need to work from home. It's important to to enable them. So, from an IT infrastructure perspective, but given the explosion in use of video conference, there's also an increase of uh, risk exposure. So, a company also needs to step up their security, build up cyber cyber resilience, awareness, testing. I mean, free software is free for a reason, and they're both security and privacy concerns, and people need to be aware. So internal communication on do's and don'ts, which network to use, which device to use, password protection, and especially in, in times of disruption, data security is key and measures need to be taken to mitigate data breaches to ensure privacy and confidentiality also from our customers and clients. Yeah, uh, when it, when we were talking about security, one of the things uh, uh, that came to our minds, of course, um, would be some of the um, another threat that was posed um, by COVID nineteen, which is um, cyber security and financial crimes related matters, and also um, frauds that we've been seeing um, prompted by the virus outbreak. So it's not. Um, all positive that everyone is social distancing and staying at home. Of course, um, they are also more vulnerable um, to to cyber security issues as well as fraud. So you you Lonica, you are an expert who has been working and watching um, this space closely. What are some of the trends and and uh, issues that you've been seeing um, recently? Um, the the one thing to remember is that criminals will do anything to make money, and and and, and the and the virus uh, presents serious challenges for all of us, including financial service providers. I mean, we need to detect and prevent financial crimes in the midst of these major disruptions. And as Mina already shares, financial regulators have globally issued guidance for better protection against these um, against these crimes. So as a lot of the crimes that criminals initially commit are not possible just because they're locked down, there are other restrictions, they have to revert to no aid. There are ample examples of cases that come to mind, how how they, they, they change their plan. I, I was reading something about Chinese drug traffickers that now got themselves into fake and 95 mask, and that's just a very straightforward um, example. But companies are facing challenges from internal fraud and cyber threats. Um, Workforce uh, disruptions are leading to less oversight of systems and operations and leaving the door open for internal system breaches, uh, fraudulent account activity, contract fraud, um, and similarly, uh, reduced oversight of cybersecurity systems make companies more vulnerable to cyber attacks. Uh, because everyone is working remotely, uh, the risk has shifted from a physical risk to online risk. And um, again, too, too, too many to uh, to mention, but just a few of the examples that we come across uh, a lot at the moment is um, false identity scams, uh, ID theft and account takeover, where advantage is taken of consumers' disrupted banking routines, leaving accounts open to takeover. Or uh, because there's obviously also a lot of legitimate uh, COVID-19 related communication from banks and employers, um, that there's a heightened anxiety that makes it easier easier for individuals, uh, especially perhaps the vulnerable uh, customers, to fall for phishing scams that ultimately aimed uh, at account takeover or payments uh, fraud. 
another scam that we see a lot is uh, related to the relief funds and the bailout packages. Um, crowdfunding funding platforms, um, payment fraud where uh, the counterfeit sites that are falsely claiming uh, high in demand items such as face masks or um, uh, donations that are being solidated for non-existent uh, COVID-19 health organizations. Uh, in the company, we did a test with that just to increase the awareness of the employees. And um, it, it, it was really well set up. Uh, it, it, it was a charity. I mean, like, they, they were aiming uh, for, for people's empathy, sympathy. And although, I mean, I'm, I'm in this field, I knew that this was, was coming. But when I read the email, um, it was just so convincing and people want to do the right thing at the moment and they do want to help. So it's very easy for them uh, to fall into these kind of, uh, of kind of scams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, In terms of uh, scams and also security issues, it's a, it's really um, huge threat. But then the other thing, uh, the other threat that I would like to talk about um, with Nina in terms of uh, threats or for example, or, or complications as well as challenges um, in terms of working from home would be, of course, um, how like uh, teams could do uh, compliance and risk-related teams could do um, investigations as well as like how they are doing their quarterly and um, reports. Like um, Mina, do you have uh, some experience and tips to share on that front? So I'm working for EY, as you know, and have a lot of contact with banks. And the banks, you know, because there isn't a lockdown in Hong Kong, so a little bit different from um, some of the other jurisdictions like uh, America, for instance, and Canada. So there's a rotor system and the MA, I was talking to this regulator a few days ago, and he said that, you know, they've asked the banks to have clean teams and dirty teams. So they mitigate the risk. So there are half the people in in the bank itself and half people working from home. And so that if there is a case of um, infection that, you know, the whole team, because they then they have to vacate the premises, have to clean it. And then, you know, so that they're doing that. So those who are in the office are very well equipped to carry on those functions. And those who are at home also are managing okay. The example that you gave about the... Um, the, you know, doing the audits um, because, you know, the first quarter was the um, the end of the audit uh, period. And I have statistics here to say that, uh, you know, the H, the Hong Kong Institute of Certified Public Accountants said that out of the 1,792 1, issuers listed on the stock exchange, <clears throat> only five did not publish their financial data due to COVID. And um, and this year they made an exception. They said that, you know, your audit statements can be sort of like um, with the auditor's agreement or without. So um, of the balance, you know, 314 published without. So in, despite the challenges, it seems that, you know, um, at least the Hong Kong people are very, very um, resilient and adaptable. And, the, you know, for instance, EY, we've got really, really good technology um, and we have VPN, but this is not the case with some industries, you know. And there was an article in the newspaper about the government, for instance, which says that um, people are saying that it doesn't work as well in government because they don't have the VPN, which is essential to avoid phishing, uh, to prevent phishing. But, you know, like only the senior government officials have that. Uh, whereas the you know the the middle or the you know frontline people they don't have that, 
And they also have these managers who are not very receptive to working from home. They don't trust. They don't want to use video um, conferencing equipment. Um, and, you know, the policies are not clear. But in EY, for instance, you know, um, I attended a town hall yesterday and it was so clear, you know, every, it seems that working from home works really well. And, um, you know, there was also a lot of sort of like comfort about, you know, don't worry, you're not going to lose your job and, you know, this and that. But um, there are certain risks, even though, you know, generally, by and large, we haven't seen this these yet. But I, I think that there, some of the risks are like mis-selling risk. Um, you know, there aren't proper controls. Um, and so it is really important for, um, you know, the frontline people to be told that they have it, they can't cut corners that they must also meet with all the compliance. Because my bitter experience during SARS was that we were inundated. The, the, I was in the HKMA then. And uh, because investors lost money and they're going to lose money in this crisis if they haven't already, they're going to look for somebody to take the blame. And so there was 20,000 complaints to the regulator. And so there was a massive investigation. Um, and uh, then there had to be a big settlement so we can see all of these coming. We're talking to our clients and telling them, beware of all these risks, um, you know, mis-selling risks, fraud risks, which uh, uh, Lonica mentioned, um, and all of the other, you know, make sure that you identify, assess, and mitigate your risk. And if there's, you know, like, need seek the help of um, experts if necessary to mitigate these risks. Yeah, uh, drawing from your experience and example that you just gave about EY, of course, like transparency and effective communications um, are really some some of the key components in terms of uh, supporting businesses um, in terms of like running smoothly uh, and operating um, during this time of working from home. So which um, it brings me to ask um, you both the next question, because um, uh, as you guys have mentioned, a lot of the um, risks and threats could be uh, prevented if there was um, sufficient future planning. But of course, it's challenging for any businesses to be planning ahead for this COVID-19 outbreak. But then we, we would like to look at the future. Like, what are some of the key lessons in terms of uh, managing COVID-19 impacts that you think are worth learning, let's say from Asia or from this outbreak in terms of like future planning and related? Uh, Lonica? <laughs> That's an interesting question. It's also a difficult question. I mean, uh, COVID-19 is reshaping the global economy and also geopolitical landscape. And, and for, for many countries, the response to the virus is now well advanced. And the question of what comes next is receiving more uh, attention. Um, but it's, it's, we may not be able to return back uh, to, to the normal as we knew it before. And if, if we go back to, to any kind of fraud or scam. I mean, it, it comes down to opportunity, motivation and rationale. And we haven't even discussed the like the economic uh, uh, downside. For instance, we we, we work with um, uh, a, a very large pool of agents selling our products. And uh, not only do they have more opportunities now because of lack of oversight, controls, manpower, uh, but perhaps also our typologies or screening, monitoring that, that needs to be updated based on, on, on the new situation. But there's also going to be a lot of pressure on, um, on, 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 on the money side. I mean, it's a com commission-based industry and uh, 
it's it's uh, when it comes to quota and or any uh, <laughs> any period where uh, commissions are being paid. You see that already now. They they do anything to make sure they meet their target. So they're just being squeezed, and and more opportunity, more motivation. So it's it's. It, it becomes very challenging to actually um, to address that effectively. And, and something when I was still working for government, uh, is what, what is key in this is, is also the cooperation with, with the regulator, with law enforcement, with the industry as, as, a, as a whole to, to jointly uh, tackle the issues that, that we see. Um, so, so looking ahead, yes, I am a very positive person, but we're going to have a hell of a job uh, to do in the next month and, and, and year to come. I mean, the biggest risk at the moment is still managing the disruption. And, and, and then the, the working from home, the technology part, the, the security has shifted, as I, as I already said. We're, we're using Zoom. The whole world is, is, is on, on this with all concerns uh, attached to it so it's 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 a challenge i would say yeah i would also like to bring up um let's say in terms of uh for businesses of course they are desperate in terms of doing sales as well as um keeping their business performance up and in terms of um how they could mitigate through um this challenge i mean um navigate through this challenging times um in terms of doing sales as well as uh perhaps even um coming up with some insurance policies for the employees. Like, do, do you um, ladies have any um, comments on this part? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, my, uh, my background and my knowledge is with the banks, but it applies equally to businesses. And I think the key buzzword now is operational resilience. Mm. So look at your business from end to end. Make sure that all of your critical functions and systems can function in a crisis. This crisis, you know, and then do stress testing. testing. But I think this crisis is stretched all the um, stress testing. And, you know, right now everybody um, is firefighting. So, you know, um, as I said, you know, compliance might be stretched. Corners might be, you know, cut. But, you know, at some stage, one has to look at the whole enterprise, look at all the risks, like um, in that placement that I had earlier, that uh, slide one, and look at all of those and, you know, look at where the weak links are and where controls need to be strengthened. And that goes for business as well. But in the meantime, do everything to support your employees and your customers because they're the key to success. You know, like we, as I said, you know, we need you need your employees to help you manufacture goods and you need them to provide services and you need the consumers to go out there and spend so you really need to look after both you know them to, for for there to be any recovery and of course all of that is dependent on the social context whether the, this lockdown can be in some of the countries can be relaxed you know as i said hong kong is looking good but you know singapore was looking very good a few day, a few weeks ago or a week ago and suddenly there was a spike so there's no room for complacency and we're concerned that there might be a third wave in hong kong as the people in china have gone back to work and then there could be a spread there which could you know there could be a contagion in hong kong because hong kong is part of china and although the government um, has shut down the border and uh, overseas visitors aren't allowed. 
you know, China, we're part of China. So there's, you know, goods and services, uh, sorry, good, all our food is from China. So this is coming through every day. And so the border is still pretty fluid. And, um, you know, but th- there is that really, really strong risk. Yeah, and also um, in terms of uh, making sales, of course, uh, during this time, um, as companies are more desperate, I would also like to get um, your comments and opinions in terms of like how companies can maintain, you know, um, to to maintain their integrity whenever they are doing sales in terms of like um, ethics and conduct of uh, sales agents. I think that, you know, particularly the financial firms, Uh, banks in particular, um, they have really strict conduct rules and investor protection is a key uh, key principle. Under no crisis is investor protection to be compromised because it will come to haunt you. The regulators are going to take um, enforcement action against you. Um, so you won't be spared. <clears throat> and even when it comes to financial crime, the FATAV has made a statement saying that You know, in these circumstances, when there's rise in criminal activities, that supervision and enforcement um, is becoming really important to send the right message, you know, the deterrence effect. So I think that people, you know, I, a lot of sales are moving online and there's even greater chance of mis-selling using online because there are so many scams, you know, false description and then, you know, even like masks that are sent to the U.S. now or no, some of the other countries are coming back because they're poor quality. So I think that businesses really have to be ethical and culture is really important. The MA um, embarked on a bank culture reform. This was in um, 2018. And they said that, you know, you know, the governance is so important and that you have to have the incentive systems. Because if you, um, if you sort of incentivize your customers based on sales targets, they're going to break corner. They're going to go and sell no matter what, just to get the figures up, particularly at these times when, you know, uh, jobs are under threat because there will be huge unemployment. So it is so important to have the right culture to say, no matter what, we're not compromising the customer's interests and to have a customer centric culture. Um, and then for to have, you know, escalation of misbehavior, whistleblowing. So all of these things have to be in place for banks in particular because they yeah. get money from the public they're they're you know they're the our fiduciaries they keep our money and and so many people everybody has a bank account or two so yes, and I the same agree. goes for businesses you know ethics and culture is so important yeah i agree with you mina uh, of course um in terms of building a culture it takes time and then it it is something um that businesses should really um well they they should already have a positive culture in place and also ethics conduct um regulations in place but then of course it, it will also go um further into any uh future preparation for future crisis but then in terms of preparation there's another aspect that i would like to bring up um which would be the security um side of things because um Obviously, currently, um, the companies that are doing a little bit better in terms of mitigating the risks um, brought by COVID-19 would be those um, that are a bit more tech-savvy, um, as they have the advantage in terms of um, having invested in better technology, uh, technological implementations, as well as um, protecting the employees' securities um, a little bit better. So um, this question is for you, Lonica. Like, is it really time for 
companies around the world to start investing in better tools and information security solutions to prepare for future crises if they haven't already done so? I was about to say, I think if they have to start investing now, they're already a bit late in the game. Uh, but yes, absolutely. I mean, everyone is working from home. And, and as Mina said, resilience is key now in order to be able to, to show that resilience and to continue your, your, your business dealings. You need to have the technology in place. Otherwise, there's, I mean, as I said, like our teams, uh, a lot of our uh, depends on travel. I mean, there's no travel. How are we going to conduct an investigation? How are we uh, do a review? How are audits being conducted? I mean, without the necessary technology, we can't even start doing that. I mean, it's challenging enough as it is to do it from a distance. So, yes, absolutely, technology is key together with the messaging on the data privacy and the security risks involved. Because if we suddenly have a whole workforce using technology, like technology that they haven't used before without the clear guidance and the security being stepped up by the companies, it's going to create even more uh, problems. So yes, those that are going to come out relatively better than others are probably companies that have invested a lot in technology and the security that goes with it uh, already. Um, One other comment that I wanted to make on that uh, sales practice, which is very interesting, and because I worked for both the bank and I'm now in insurance, I, um, I find it even more challenging now because in a bank, at least, people selling products are your own employees. We are uh, having an agency force that is using the platform to to, uh, sell our products, but they're not necessarily employees. So to make sure that those people that work on a commission basis actually maintain the conduct and the integrity that you as a company stand for that you want for your business is very challenging and I think one of the very few things that we can do especially as the demand from clients is going to pick up is I mean we can tailor our products we can send the message by the way we structure our products by the premium recharges the way they can claim certain um, and, and also the commission structure that we set up for the agents. I mean, as long as a company is pushing for hard sales, especially in these times, you know the problems are going to come your way. So I think the company has a really big role to play. And it goes back to one of the very first comments I made. This is the time where a company has to choose on what they want to be. Like, how do they want to get through this crisis? What is their main purpose? Employees first, clients first than financials, if they have the opportunity to to make that kind of decisions, obviously, because it's not as easy uh, for some as it may be for others. But um, yes, to go back to your question, technology is key, together with strict guidelines, controls, and security. Yeah. um, Yes, Mina. Can I just supplement that, um, you know, the FATF also says that, you know, you have to use technology. We know that criminals use technology, particularly. So I'm thinking more on the AML, um, CFT space. And so, you know, if you want to be ahead of the criminals, you have to use technology. And so do the regulators. So FATF said that, you know, fintech is really important, fintech solutions. And then there's a called red tech. Red tech is where you do uh, regulatory technology. You use um 
technology to report to the and communicate with the regulators. And then there is subtech where the supervision of the regulators is also um, using technology. So I think that, you know, subtech is is just starting to take off. The MA has put that on hold because of the crisis, but it is so uh, essential that the regulators are also up to speed in the use of technology. And then the interface between the regulators and the um, the industry, the financial services industry, has to be also supported by reg tech. And then fintech is is quite you know advanced. But uh, yeah, so it's really important, you know, uh, particularly when you're working from home. And um, if you don't have the help of technology, you would have gone under by now. Yeah, that's a that's a really good tip. So um, I, I would like to quickly um, also talk about um, the world um, post COVID nineteen because of course um, even though we are in the crisis um, currently, but then it's also good for us to think ahead um, for a little bit of future planning for um, when things are going back to normal. Some say a new world or new order is going to be formed uh, after this uh, coronavirus outbreak. But then some say it's not going, I mean, business are just going to go back to normal how they used to be. So what's your take on this uh, and whether or not it's going to have a new reality, let's say in the form of a new regulatory model somehow? You know, the the risks are evolving. And so the regulator always has to deal with those risks. And I alluded uh, earlier to the risks of the non-banking sector uh, that is really not very well regulated. And we are feeling, um, and so is the IMF and the World Bank, that that is a hot spot for, for problems and that that is going to drag us down this time. So I think that um, you know, there's going to be greater focus on that, re- that area. Um, and instilling the same regulation, um, you know, the capital requirements, whatnot, uh, and the liquidity, so that that doesn't drag us down. So that's one big area. And I think that the regulators are going to look more and more at, you know, as I mentioned earlier, operational resilience, because that covers everything from front one end to another. Um, and to they'll be sort of like... Um, you know, also doing more stress testing, but this has all been suspended at the moment. But, you know, and then the stress test thresholds are going to get more and more ridiculous because we saw how ridiculous it can get. You know, the stock market can collapse within one week, 30%. I mean, nobody imagined that. And um, bonds, treasuries, which were a safe haven, also collapsed. I mean, like, you know, it was just mind-boggling what happened um, and could happen again. Who knows? You know, we're not out of out of the woods yet. Um, and the forecast is all very grim. Like you know, the world um, output will drop by five percent across all. You know, the the um, advanced economies are going to drop six point five percent. The only two economies that are will will be in the positive territory, according to the the report today, will be India and China. It's just grim, but. Uh, but you never know, you know, like um, if we all are determined to make this work, you know, maybe it will, you know, uh, but many people are not expecting a V-shaped recovery and that it's going to be a long tail. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it is indeed a very um, grim outlook, as you just mentioned. But of course, um, uh, our other speaker in the house, Lonica, she's a little bit more optimistic. So, <laughs> Lonica, do you think um, the new reality 
would be a positive one. Um, and or is there any new reality to be looking forward to? I I, I do agree with you on this. The outlook is grim, and there won't be a return to to the old normal. Uh, I I think. I mean, there's there's no way something like this can happen without creating a, a, a new or a next normal. Uh, so while it's grim, I also think that this is the time to to reset as, as the company and, and and also like reassess how, how you currently operate, like including our functions, review our working practices, productivity, quality, consistency. I mean, the use of technology solutions has accelerated and decisions were made like related to digital and personal privacy, basically, because we had to make those decisions to make this work. I mean, we're, we're, we're having a tracking app in, in, in Hong Kong um, where if you're being tested or close to someone that is confirmed positive, that, that you know exactly where that person will go, has been. We are talking in the Netherlands on, on a similar app. That would not have even been possible like three months ago. There's no way people would have considered that. So I think this this crisis has has accelerated these discussions for the right or the wrong. But um, it, it, it's a reset with also good things to come uh, from it. I think uh, it will have an impact um, on, I don't know if it's nationalization, perhaps regionalization, where we living in such a global world, I think people are taking a step back, uh, building it up, diversify. And a lot of the concerns also come now because there was too heavy of a reliance of, of one supplier or, or one vendor. I think people are, are spreading the risks accordingly because this is not something that people could have imagined like six months ago. And it did happen. So reset a bit more of a realistic um, outlook perhaps and and lots of reassessments and and readjustments yeah i do agree with you in terms of the reliance on let's say a certain country for um manufacturing and and stuff like that because um in terms of the global economy there's a currently a new trend that might be forming is that um different economies and regional markets are having this kind of decoupling or kind of like a deglobalization um trends being formed so it is indeed a new reality that um, no one is really certain about what it's going to look like. But since um, uh, as our session is coming uh, to an end soon, I would like to quickly squeeze in uh, one uh, question that came through uh, our email um, by our audience uh, for you both, which um, it, this is an interesting question because um, it's about work from home. Um, uh, it's asking that, would you say work from home policies make compliance um, simpler or more complicated? Definitely more complicated, for sure, <laughs> because um, there isn't that proper supervision, no matter how hard you try. Uh, but it's not uh, impossible, and I think that the, you know, the compliance officers are doing their best. And um, you know, particularly when you have split teams, it's it, you have better support, uh, and with greater use of technology, there's also greater support. You know, before. Um, you know, I, I just also wanted to add a comment um, on what you just said, Isabel, about, you know, like, I know that there's a lot of rivalry between U.S. and China and that, you know, everybody is looking, you know, shutting borders and all of that. But I think that one of the lessons that's going to be learned from this crisis is that we're really one country. You know, the world is one and that we're all citizens of this big world and that we really need to work together to solve these 
unprecedented um, crisis, in this unprecedented crisis and these global issues, because like the virus knows no border, you know, likewise, we should know no borders when it comes to cooperation. And, you know, and it's so good to be able to talk across to our friends in the U.S. and Canada, um, you know, and, and to hear from them at some stage when they're ahead of the curve. Yeah, um I mean, it's good to um, have some of the audience uh, from the North uh, from the North America joining us today for this conversation. The other question um, uh, we, I would like to go through quickly uh, that came through our Q and A uh, chat room is that do do you guys see government and companies, also individuals, learning from this crisis to force maybe a more responsible and sustainable um, recalibration of business as usual when things are finally back to normal? I think it's both ways. I mean, I mean that, 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 that that's not that, that, that's good and bad in this world. And I see lots of positive developments. That, as I said, like that, there's a reset, there's a sense of purpose. You see, on one hand, people taking the opportunity to do the right thing and are focusing on clients and employees to basically facilitate the well-being of 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 of, of them and. Uh, Beautiful things are happening, while on the other hand, I see horrible things happening. I see the worst of capitalism. I see the worst of coming out and people are being squeezed. We were talking about sales pressure. It's, it's. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a simple answer. I think, I think it's both, uh, and I do hope that this reset, this reassessment in in each and every area of life, personal life, work life, company, uh, vision, mission. I, I hope the good will prevail being a positive person, but I think it will be both. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, uh, Mina, do you have something to add? Um, in this area, I think that, you know, I think there'll be a greater focus on on environment and climate change and all of those risks that are new and emerging. Um, that you know the regulators have been pushing. Um, I know the HKMA is pushing that a lot, and so also um, the international uh, bodies, uh, standard-setting bodies. So I, I feel yes, there will be a more responsible and more sustainable um, co- collaboration of business as usual. I, I'm I'm positive about that myself. It's great to end this panel on a pretty positive note, despite the grim outlook that we did talk about. Thank you very much for your time, Monica and Mina, for joining us for this discussion. And that concludes today's COVID-19 speaker session. Thank you all again for joining us. We'll be sending the presentation deck as well as a transcript from this web panel to you through email very soon. And meanwhile, um, the, the webinar and the audio um uh, version of this webinar will be available on Risky Women as well as Link Global later. Do stay tuned for more upcoming events and COVID-19 content on Link and Risky Women's social media channels. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you very much, and we will see you very soon. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Risky Women Radio. To connect, champion, and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter, or even reaching out to me directly by email. Hi. 
We're always looking for sponsors. And if you'd like to get involved and help celebrate and champion women in risk regulation and compliance, please get in contact at info at riskywomen.org. We'd love to have you join the show.